Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming to the closing of uh, a very packed uh, and insightful two-day period. I think our forum uh, has been um, a great success, and I would like to thank everybody for attending and contributing to it. So today we're closing with uh, what is traditionally putting together the collective wisdom of the uh, Wall Street analysts and talk about uh, shipping. So I'm delighted to have with us uh, Randy Gibbons from Jefferies, Ben Nolan from Stifel, Omar Nocta from Plateau, Clarkens Plateau, Jay Minchmeyer from Value Investors Edge, and of course, Gregory Lewis from VTIG. I, I have the privilege to be working with them over a long period of time. Uh, we, don't know, we don't say how many years because we don't want to sound old, at least in my case, you guys are a lot younger. Um, but I'm really humbled to have, with you, uh, to have you with, uh, with us today, and thank you very much. So let's kick it off. My, um, my take during these two days has been uh, an air of, uh, of optimism, uh, of positive outlook. Uh, as uh, Greg, were, uh, Greg said, of course, it's always positive if you give it the right time frame. But for the first time, I really sensed uh, a collective uh, consensus that uh, we are in a new era. And that's why we, we titled the conference Sailing into Recovery. Uh, with the world economy opening up, vaccines becoming more available, clearly trade is picking up, uh, supply seems to be limited across the board. So are we in a new era right now? Uh, what do you think is changing for the shipping? So let me start, uh, I'll start with Greg, uh, who is on the top left of my screen. So, and I'll go around. Um, and please then, you know, I look forward to each one contributing. So try to make it short so everybody else can also give their opinion. Yeah, sure. Th thanks, Nicholas. And, and so, yeah, cl clearly these are interesting times in shipping. They always are. I think what is most people excited is the restarting of economies. Um, I guess what we would say is when you think about sectors maybe that are a little bit more out of favor, you know, something like it, like the tanker stocks, that could be, and th those could be names which, you know, have started to gain a little bit more interest here over the last few weeks as more vaccines are distributed and people continue to think about ramping up and, and what does a second half recovery look like in oil tankers um, with rates moving higher, that I think is an interesting opportunity that I'm sure we're gonna explore throughout this panel. Um, but with that, I'll turn it over to the next person. Well, Jay, let's... Uh... Yeah, thanks, Nicholas. Uh, well, I was really bullish until I heard your summary. And <laughs> it makes me nervous that, you know, everyone's bullish. It tends to be when everybody's bearish is the time to buy and when everybody's bullish, it's time to take a little money off. But, you know, I, I think the facts are, are really on the side of the bulls this time around. Uh, you have the confluence of a reopening to the global economy. Uh, you also have an extreme sentiment swing. Uh, last summer, everything was on sale, right? And that swing is happening right now. We're seeing that rotation away from sectors like technology and into sectors like energy and shipping, capital intensive industries. And I think as interest rates start to climb a little bit, uh, you're seeing those inflation fears creep in. And what better to own in an inflationary environment than real assets like shipping? Uh, so all that said, I, I'm bullish on everything, except the fact that everybody else is bullish. Omar. Yeah, that, well, that's, uh, it, it's interesting how, you know, over the past 12 months, uh, it's been such a, a sea change, right? A year ago, it was just about everything.
that was just getting started uh, down this negative path. And we stared into the abyss across several sectors. And here we are 12 months later. And the like we've been talking about, the markets uh, has emerged. And I think what's, what's really interesting and why I think there's a sense of optimism. Uh, and Jay, I think it's optimism, not necessarily bullishness. <laughs> uh, it, 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 this just happened really over the past couple of months, really. So I think it's still, still too early to get nervous. It's just, we're just getting started. and And it's very similar to 2009, and 10, where we're coming out of the global financial crisis, where the demand shut down out of nowhere, and then um, then a huge restart. Um, it's very similar to that, except this time, there's no order book staring at you that's going to basically eclipse that demand. And I think that's really what makes this very exciting is we've seen the demand surge, and now it's going to take some time for the supply to, to come back. Thank you. So Ben, if I can have your uh, insight. Yeah, I don't have a, a whole lot more to add really than, than what's already been touched on. But I do think from an investor perspective, and there has been at least for, for us an increased level of investor interest, uh, even beyond sort of the, the normal level of uh, optimism on the part of the owners and other industry people. But, uh, but investors are obviously paying a little bit more attention. The stocks have begun to respond a little bit. And I think that there is an appetite, especially with so many other things that have run up and and in particular a lot of even industrial names or other transportation names that have really moved up a lot over the course of the last i don't know nine months or so and shipping generally has lagged that a bit uh with maybe the exception of containers uh and so i think there there is an increased level of interest in finding something that uh, maybe is lagging but could follow the same path um and so uh, and, and as Jay said, you know, people are looking for inflation hedges or, or, or uh, ways to play a you know, movement in the dollar or whatever. So uh, all of those things are contributing to an increased level of interest, which, uh, and then as Omar said, it, it sort of coincides with a low order book and a cyclical recovery. So it, it, uh, again, not, not too much fundamentally different than where the other guys are, but I do think, you know, it is expressing itself and what uh, is catching people's attention right now. So Randy, we can... Yeah, uh, I, I, would just, I would just add two things. I think both yesterday and today, you've heard a lot of, oh, well, you know, in shipping, everyone's optimistic. Well, I, I think in every industry, in every company call, in every sector, you know, CEOs and CFOs are optimistic, right? No one's saying oh, the next six months are terrible. The next three years, our business stinks, right? So I don't think it's a shipping uh, uniqueness there. Now that said, the last time we kind of really saw this, you know, kind of large consensus for the bullishness or for the optimism, whatever word you want to use, was probably 18 months ago, right? If you think back to maybe September of 2019, at this very forum, the Capital Link Forum back then, there was a lot of optimism out there. You, you saw very similar dynamics on the supply demand equation. IMO 2020 was about to happen. And just look what happened the following four months, right? From September 19 into January of 2020, the stocks were, you know, reacted very well, pretty much across the board. We cover 30 different shipping names. I think during those three or four months, 29 were up over 15%, right? So uh, we've been in situations before where things look good and they actually turned out good, right? Uh, and obviously with COVID-19, there was some kind of uh, wrenches that came at us. And 2020 was a very challenging year. So I think the hurdle is pretty low 
for 2021 to be better, right? Especially on the demand side, coupled with, as others have said, a very low order book on the supply side. So I, I understand uh, why the industry uh, is a little more optimistic now than it has been in previous years. Thank you. So instead of having the, the same question answered by all five of you, which makes it a little bit repetitive, if you don't mind, I will try to ask a question to somebody. And then, of course, anyone who would like to uh, jump in, you're very welcome. So I think we, we set the stage that 2021 clearly is a better year compared to 2020. That there, that there is uh, optimism, if not bullishness, depending how you see that. But let me ask you, shipping stocks have clearly uh, come up. And Ben mentioned that uh, I think uh, you know they were trading uh, in comparison with other uh, stocks in the market uh, at lower levels. So now we have this catch up. Can this continue? So maybe Omar, I can go with you. Do you see uh, the momentum of uh, shipping stocks continuing? I mean, they have come up significantly in most cases. Yeah, that, yeah. Thanks, Nicholas. I think absolutely. Uh, just look. Oh, sorry. I can't use the word absolutely. I think that might be a little too guarantee-ish type language. But I think there's definitely uh, th there's definitely uh, upside. I mean, when we look at where the dry bulkers and where the tankers have gone, yes, it's been a great run, really off the bottom. Uh, and to me, it looks like it's just the first, uh, maybe the first inning of the uh, or the first out of the first inning, something like that. It's it's when you think about where tankers are valued you know tankers are still trading as a group below net asset value and where are tanker values they're still 15 or so percent below where they were before the pandemic began so you know we have a ways to go just to get to where we were before the pandemic and then if this is really the beginning of a cyclical recovery then there's material upside to that dry bulk stocks they've all had a great run and asset values are still if you look at where camps or maxes super maxes uh capes they're still below where they were a year ago, maybe 5%. So uh, the group trades currently may be at NAV. Um, and we know obviously NAV is a moving target, but the way the market tends to uh, gravitate is trying to get to where that NAV is going. And so it, it's a pretty much what we're seeing in the sale and purchase market is, is, is a lot of activity, a lot of liquidity. And with earnings continuing to strengthen, time charters becoming much more available uh, the values are on the way up and the equities are going to continue to follow that. So we definitely would say that the, uh, the upside uh, can continue. So share prices have come up more than asset values. In, the, uh, the, I guess that's an interesting, yeah, you would say the leverage, yes, the, the, the equities have definitely uh, gone up more aggressively than the, the asset values, but they're catching up because uh, they're still below as a group uh, the vessel values are still below where they were before the pandemic. And yet for dry bulk containers, we're seeing earnings above that, for instance. So uh, quite a bit more to go, we would say on asset values. And then the equities are just going to continue to follow that or lead that. So if I compare your point uh, that asset values have, have been coming up, but not as much as trades. And then I go to what Jay said, that um, owning assets uh, is a great uh, hedge against inflation and uh, I can conclude that it's a good time to buy assets for the companies. Sure. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's an interesting. Oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Greg. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I think you. I think you bring up an interesting point. Um, and and it's one of the things you know when we talk about NAV, 
Um, I would agree with you. And I think it is an interesting time to be buying assets in sectors where we see a multi-year recovery. I think one of the issues that some management teams face is balancing that want or need to deploy capital versus their, you know, where their stock prices is, is, is trading at and trying to balance buying back stock and, and um, you know, buying ships. What we would say is, you know, it's very difficult to, to buy back stock it's don't get me wrong it's hard to buy ships also but as you think about creating real value for shareholders you know if you're close enough to an nav that you can stomach probably now is a good time to start thinking about deploying more capital to go ahead and build out your fleet that's a great point so now if i can go for example to, to randy if that's the case and and we said that uh, there's limited supply uh, and people aren't going to buy to put uh, new building orders given the overall uncertainty. Um, and uh, at the same time that the economy is picking up, freight, are, uh, rate, uh, freight rates are picking up, but asset values haven't gone up. That means we should expect brisk S&P activity uh, going forward. And maybe that would bring assets up significantly. So is there a timing element? Yeah, you know, I think it's a, it's a combination of factors. And let me touch on something from the previous question as well. Um, when you look at the equities having moved, you know, and we heard this a lot, and I'll just name two names, right? Um, Danaus and Starbuck. Danaus went from $3 to 5 to 7 to 10 People saying, oh, I guess I missed it. Then it went to 15 to 20 Oh, I guess I missed it. Then it went to 20 to 30 Then it went to 30 to 43 Right. So you, you still have a lot of upside in a lot of these names. And same for Starbuck. I had a lot of clients when it was four, five, six, saying, oh, how much more upside does it have? Then eight, nine, 10, how much more upside does it have? Today it's 14, right? So there can certainly be substantial moves, even if you miss the first, let's call it doubling, right? And especially if you look back to 2004 to 2008, these shipping names were up 10% a month for three years straight, right? So you can certainly get to some very big levels, um, even off the, off the bottoms here. Now, to your question specifically, yes, um, there, there certainly has been a lot of kind of, let's call it consolidation or asset purchases. We've seen that from Euronav. We saw that from Starbuck. We see it from Eaglebuck. We see it from Genco. We see it from DHT, right? There's been many companies who have been buying secondhand tonnage here in the last few weeks, you know, much less the last few months. Um, and obviously that starts putting in a floor and a bid for your secondhand values. And as steel prices go up, as Jay was talking about, an inflationary environment goes up. As people still remain reticent for new buildings, you look to the secondhand market, and that will tighten that gap between a five-year-old or even 10-year-old vessel, a resale vessel, and a new build, right? So for all of those reasons, it will increase S&P activity, which we've seen, which will increase your secondhand valuation, which we've seen. And sometimes it goes back and forth, and that snowball really you know, improves rates or improve asset values in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, I think Randy's point of the now is it just shows what, you know, we've been arguing for years and I know analysts understand this, but leverage works both ways, right? And in the past decade, we've really just seen the negative effects of leverage, right? We've seen a 10, 20%, 30% asset decline uh, lead to massive equity dilutions, even bankruptcies. But with a company like Denouse, the perfect example of how leverage can work in the opposite direction and how, you know, Denouse moved from, you know, $4 to 10 and maybe that was closing part of the gap, but then you know they have 80% financial leverage. So when the asset value is doubled, 
uh, you know, you're in a situation where the stock's what, I don't know, 42, 43 today, and they still trade at a discount. So it's, it's very fascinating to see that. And, and I think, you know, that the easy, the low hanging fruit of just sentiment has already been picked, right? In terms of like discounts to NAV and stuff like that. The next leg of the market is going to depend on the fundamentals. It's going to depend on the earnings. It's going to depend on the time charter equivalent rates. That's what matters at this point for the next leg. So if you're bullish on those things, if you're bullish on the rates, then absolutely the stocks can move. Uh, but but the low hanging fruit of just closing the discount gap, I mean, that trade's kind of already mostly played. You're very right, James. So maybe now, now going to Ben. Uh, that's actually a terrific point because I think a number of people in the past were looking at uh, the NAV uh, disconnect. And of course, you don't buy into a company if you don't believe that the outlook is positive, no matter how big the uh, NAV discount is. So now maybe uh, based on what we described, it's time to look uh, at cash flow. If you believe that the freight rates have legs going forward, maybe it's time to look at cash flow. And if you trade an NAV uh, discount, then maybe that's an opportunity in terms of timing. Uh, is that, I mean, I, I, Randy was telling me the other day that she has seen a lot of uh, growth investors coming into value because now they expect these discounted stocks exactly to perform better. Is that something, Ben, that you uh, agree with? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, in general, the theme has certainly been, especially since the first of the year, I guess, uh, value of growth. But that's also true, you know, an increased level of interest in cyclicals or whatever. And I mean, that's always, I, I think probably all of us have had this conversation with people where they call and say, okay, well, what's the price to NAV? Okay, well, so what am I playing for here? And ultimately, NAV is only a reflection of people's forward expectations of cash flows. If those expectations of cash flows change substantially, and, and they can in this business, unlike anything else that, that just about that I'm familiar with, um, you know, you, you have to you have to shift your mindset from, okay, how much could I liquidate this for today to how much are those future cash flows really worth? And in periods of weakness, nobody's doing that math, right? Nobody cares. That's why they trade at such big discounts to NAV because you, nobody has to own these things. They're, they're, it's, it's transient investments for 99% of the people that look at it. But that, to Jay's point earlier on, on leverage, I mean, it, that, that not only is it financial leverage, but it's also operating leverage. And when things turn around, as probably everybody who's on this call knows, uh, it, it, it doesn't just move in small increments. It moves in huge, gigantic steps. And, you know, whether or not we're on the cusp of one of those, we'll see. I mean, it certainly feels like it's possible and there's more people believing that it is. Uh, but, uh, but, but really the, the math behind, uh, behind that calculus is uh, the, the transition from uh, today's asset prices to tomorrow's cash flow potential. Oh, that's exactly it. Very well said. So, Greg, let me come to you. After uh, Ben's, you know, very succinct way of putting it, is there anything that can derail this? I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? Uh, anything that could anything that could derail this? Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's always risks. Um, you know, I think you know, and each sector is going to face its own risks. Um, you know, we can use real world examples, right? While, while container shipping has done wonderful, 
Um, there's some debate that, you know, container shipping is more of a shelter in place type sector where oil tankers is more of a, you know, post get out in the world and, and do things. So, you know, depending on which sector we're, we're thinking about, there are absolutely risks here as well as, hey, it's a tentative recovery. Randy was taught, Randy was mentioning earlier that Texas is, is reopening, you know, aggressively. I was walking around New York City the other day. It's, New York City's not there yet. And so as we think about some of, some of the recovery and the expectations around where oil demand is going to be in six months, where dry bulk demand is going to be in six months, a lot of that is going to have to do with the pace of the recovery. Um, you know, I, I'll let other people kind of talk about where we think that's going, you know, we're constructive on the opening of the economy so around the world. But uh, with that, I'll kick it over to who's next. Well, I'll, I'll just, I'll just say anybody who after having gone through the year that we just went through thinks that there isn't some risk that things could be derailed has just been asleep for the last 12 months. Right. I mean, it, we, the best we can do is have a certain level of confidence, but nothing <laughs> Nothing is guaranteed or even close. Well, look, you're right. I think uh, when you put in the pandemic and things like that, uh, clearly there are still a lot of risks, even though it seems we have gone through the worst. Uh, but I think it seems that right now we're exactly coming into slowly, gradually into a new phase and hopefully it will take time, but we will go back into normality. I, I, what I find personally amazing is we went through a pandemic, we went through a global lockdown, and we went through it. Uh, the situation today and looking forward is clearly a lot uh, more positive. Um, so is it fair to say we've gone through the worst? Oh, I would think so. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. definitely, Nicholas. I mean, I think we may have discussed this in a, in a discussion we had uh, a couple weeks ago uh, on this that the uh, it's amazing actually that the shipping sector yeah. went through such a difficult 2020 and the amount of dilutive capital that was raised was extremely minimal it just shows that the companies are actually much better positioned than I think most people give them credit for and to be able to navigate through such a difficult market uh, with such good uh, balance sheets just tells us that they're primed for a uh, you know a much stronger market ahead I think, I think to Omar's point, um, when I look at the risks, I, I don't see as much risk in fundamental sense in terms of you know, rates falling down and, and forced dilutions and bankruptcy. I don't see those sorts of risks, but I definitely see stock price risk. If the broad market, which trades at very high multiples, instead of like a slow sort of healthy rotation, which is what we've currently enjoyed, right? January and February have been excellent, right? Slow, steady rotation, tech slowly melting down, growth assets, cyclicals slowly heating up. That's very healthy. Uh, if we see any sort of broad market correction where things are down 15, 20, 25%, I think this is obvious for any industry, but shipping stocks aren't going to do well in a 20% correction, right? They're going to fall as well. Betas is very high. So I just hope my best case scenario is sort of a nice continuation of January and February and, you know, 10, 15, 20% rotation, not a market drop. So if we can assume that, uh, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, then could factors like uh, environmental uh, compliance, ESG, and so on become competitive differentiating factors that would affect uh, the operation and uh, investability of shipping companies? Uh, I would say the investability more so than the operations. 
right? Um, I, I don't know how how big of a difference you're going to have in a more ESG friendly company versus a you know poor ESG company in terms of you know shipping coal or crude oil or products or whatever it may be. Um, whereas in the investability, for sure, you know that, that's certainly a question we get mainly from European clients, uh, but also from some here in the U.S. is around you know how do they fare or how do they rank on the ESG metrics, right? And it's very subjective. Uh, it's hard to even quantify, much less qualify some of these measures. Um, but yes, I think over time, especially in the next three, five, seven years, what these companies are doing in terms of their ESG development um, and how attractive they are on that front will impact the investability, will impact the fund flows into those names. I, I agree with uh, uh, I agree with Randy and Nicholas. That's a good point, actually, as we think about it, because if we look at, say, the container ship space, I think we're going to have this almost like a, a confluence of who's going to win. Is it the is it the uh, focus on green and carbon and, and that type of uh, story, or is it the return potential? And I bring that up because if we look at containers, for instance, you know the the, the narrow beam Panamaxes were written off the past ten years as a completely dead asset class, even though it was thirty or forty percent of the actual fleet. Uh, it was a sector that was no longer needed. Um, but when you look at it. Today, you can, and, and as a result, these ships were all priced very close to scrap value the past several years. Um, you look today at, say, a 4,400 TEU container ship, uh, that vessel is now worth $25 million. You, you could actually scrap that for $7 million, and but prior to scrapping it, you can actually, in today's market, put it on a two-year contract, and on that two-year contract, get $18 million. So you can buy the vessel, and after two years, you're 100% covered. So the return potential is extremely strong, but it doesn't cover you on any of the eco design characteristics. And it's not, it's not an eco ship. It's likely gonna require some retrofitting to uh, comply with the IMO rules. So it's one of those things where what's gonna win out? Is it the, the green transition or is it the re return potential? And Wall Street, I think, is still making up its mind on what's more important. Yeah, and, and I would just chime in. You know, I think there's a lot of debate around ESG. And what we would say is, you know, it's definitely there. But I mean, there was like a big article today about one of the largest ESG funds out there. You know, they don't own one renewable company. And the portfolio manager just talked about, well, this is more, this scores on an ESG scale of X. I think a lot of people in shipping and energy are focused more on this ESG. To Omar's point, if companies are making money, I think that is that will be will matter. Now, that doesn't mean that an ESG or impact investor is going to own your stock, but they probably weren't looking at shipping anyway and just to have run it on cleaner fuel if you're delivering coal or oil or another fossil fuel. I don't know if that was shipping's targeted investor anyway. I think to somebody was the balance sheets are better and companies making money. I think that is going to what's draw investors to some of these shipping names. And remember, hey, you know, tobacco was an evil villain too, and, and it managed to survive because they these those companies were able to make money. So is it something in the background to pay attention of? Yes, do, should companies score as best as they can and do what they can to do on ESG? But should they jeopardize their businesses to, to, to move up or run on some scorecard? I don't think so. Yeah, I think to Greg's point, uh, companies have to know that, know themselves, right? And, and there's going to be a space for consolidators uh, who have all you know, strong scores and can spend money on the upgrades and have the strong score. But if everybody just competes for that top rung, 
it's going to be dilutive to the industry. So, you know, maybe there's four or five just total return plays that are just going to harvest assets and make cash flows, you know, as long as the sun shines. And maybe that's five years, maybe that's 10 years. And as long as all companies don't chase each other doing the same exact thing, I think we'll be okay. Well, I think combining the points of both of you, I think that clearly ESG is a very important factor for any company, private or public. You need to have social responsibility, you have to comply with the environment, and clearly you need to have good corporate governance, especially if you're a public company. But at the end of the day, I think going back to Greg's point, and I think Jay, you should also know that because we're dealing with a lot of smaller and individual investors, maybe institutional investors, uh, they, they look more intensely because they have a more uh, rigorous investment process. But I think a lot of the uh, individual investors, they invest based on uh, what Greg said, that you know, if the company does well and the sector is positive, I, I don't know if they go through such a rigorous analysis. What do you think? I think individual investors want companies and stocks that work and perform like they expect them to. If an individual person is bullish on iron ore, dry bulk, that sort of transport, they want to buy a dry bulk company that goes up when the rates go up and pays dividends and pays out cash flow when the rates go up. And if the rates go down and the stock goes down, that's okay. Uh, I think the last few years, there's been a big improvement in governance. But if we would have had this conference in 2015 and we would have been talking about this question, uh, you know, I'd say there's a lot of room to go. I think we're maybe you know 90% of the way there on governance. So that's very good. And that we should celebrate that. And I think the social aspect is improving as well. Um, environmental factors are certainly at the forefront, but I, I do agree with you. I think that individual investors already take all of that into account. They already understand they're getting into the dry bulk. They're getting into tankers. They don't necessarily care as much about the environmental part. They just want to buy a stock that functions the way it should. So if I can ask, uh, Omar, I mean, Omar and, and Randy, and all of you actually, uh, have you seen a lot more uh, involvement from the part of uh, institutional investors coming back into the industry? Yeah, I, I would say, I, I would say there's definitely been a lot more interest than there had been. Uh, I still think it pales in comparison to the, the crazy floating storage uh, time period in that March, April, May, where there was just, it felt like the phone was ringing off the, the hook, but I feel like we had a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of traders coming in. It was more rented, the, 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 the V1 tankers. They were playing the floating storage contango uh, uh, trade, but there's a lot more interest and, and it's generalists and it's also uh, people that we spoke with uh, in prior cycles who had taken a break for five or 10 years. Um, so I would say, yes, it's, there's been a pickup, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like we're, we're there yet with a massive amount of interest and in, in people piling in. Yeah, I think two things to, to that point. One is obviously the equities have been performing well. So people are now pricing in back half of 21, 2022 earnings, not necessarily looking at the next few weeks and months, but playing a, a reopening trade. Uh, but yeah, in terms of investor interest and interactions, Certainly a lot of model requests, a lot of, you know, who's going to win the most if asset values go up 20%, um, who has the most upside from here, a lot of just kind of sharpening the pencil for once they're ready to buy, they might not buy today, um, but saying, okay, we might miss the first 10, 20% from here, and then we'll get the next 80%, right? So I think those are the conversations I'm having currently. Well, uh, as we know, uh... The primary business of Capital Link is investor relations. I mean, a lot of people know us because of these public forums that attract a lot of people. 
and we make it a point uh, to raise awareness about the industry to a wider audience. But having said that, one of the things that we are constantly concerned in our investor relations practice is how do you raise awareness about shipping to a larger audience? I mean, all of us, we focus on shipping, we live and breathe with shipping, but at the end of the day, shipping has attracted a smaller universe compared to the overall universe of investors in the US. So how do we go out to raise more awareness uh, and broaden the investor universe? Maybe you can give me some free advice that I can implement. I think, I think more is less in terms of listed companies in certain sectors. Uh, in certain sectors, uh, dry bulk is one of them for sure. Certainly tankers is also one of them. Uh, there's too many listed companies and they're too small. And you, you get a sort of thing where the sum of the parts, I guess, is less than it would be if there's there like three or four companies. Um, so I think the national consolidation, which I think ESG is going to bring that about a little bit more consolidation. I think that'll be healthy. You'll get more investor interest. Another big one is dividends. Look, I mean, I mentioned this at a, a conference last year, but you know, there's, there's 10 value investors hypothetically that like shipping and maybe I'm one of them. There's a hundred growth investors that like shipping and they're coming in and that's why the prices are going up right now. But there's a thousand income investors that, you know, come into these things when the dividends are high. So are dividends the most healthy thing? Uh, in shipping, historically, they haven't. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll be more responsible this time around. But that's really how you get retail interest is dividends and predictable dividends. And hopefully, we can turn that corner with less companies and, and more clear payout structures. Well, and, and I would add also, sorry, Nicola, I, and I would add also just simple profitability. I think that's clearly what's been missing from the sector. And I think why there hasn't been much interest. When we compare it to 2000 and 2010, that was an amazing cycle, amazing time period. And you did have a lot of investors coming into the space. The volumes were, were high, market caps were large. I mean, I think there was must have been, must have been at least seven or eight dry bulk companies with over a billion dollar market cap. And so, it, you know, I know that's small relative to Wall Street's uh, 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 perspectives, but in general, that's still a sizable uh, uh, group of companies. Um, but you know, 2000 to 2010 was amazing. 2010 to 2020 was the exact opposite of that, and that's what we've suffered through, and why there hasn't been much uh, uh, as wide of an investor interest. And it looks like, looking ahead, profitability returns the investors will follow. Yeah, and I think the sustained earnings and um, uh, uh, maintained capacity discipline. Right, we're seeing yeah very low order books now, but everybody's just waiting. You know, I was on a sales call last week. And one of our sales guys who was around in 2008 and nine says, well, when are they going to just push the order book back up to 50%? <laughs> you know, I think that's an aggressive move. I think it might go up to 15%. Uh, that's, that's manageable, right? 50% is not. So I think that's, that's still a concern. Um, so seeing that, yeah, there will be some new build ordering to satisfy IMO 2030 to replace some old tonnage, but it's not going to be as crazy and as speculative as it was 13, 14 years ago. I disagree. This is ridiculous. This is this is cyclical to the extreme of cyclicality. It has been for the last 4,000 years. When things get nuts, people are going to do stupid things because they're greedy. I mean, greed is still greed and people still have it. And, uh, and, and with respect to sort of permanent profitability, that's that's a that's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. The way to think about shipping is date don't marry, right? There, there will be times in different sectors when you want to own it before it goes up and you want to sell it before it goes down. And, and it, it doesn't, it's, it's not a, a perfectly linear upward sloping line. It just, it's never has been and it never will be. 
Well, no, and I think that I think I think Ben Ben is right, you know. And, and so, what does that mean? And, and and you've seen it, right? A few companies have tried to position their balance sheets and fixed dividends at the bottom of the cycle to kind of be through cycle stocks. Now, that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that someone's going to own it through cycle. But I think what that enables an investor to do is, hey, the cycle is out of favor. Hey, I didn't, I, you know, lucky I missed the downside, but now I can kind of own it here as it kind of treads water for six, 12, 18 months, not knowing about, about, you know, the solvency risk. I, I think there's still a lot of overhang across shipping and, and hey, things are sunny today across multiple sectors and there's optimism. But, you know, to Ben's point, we went through a multi-year period of, it just seemed like, you know, every quarter or two, there was another company going bankrupt. And so I think that was a lesson that a lot of these companies have learned while their balance sheets are, are better. But no, these, these are trading stocks and you know one or two of them maybe is going to be large enough to be a through cycle stock. But that, to, I think Jay's point, doesn't mean that they're all not, they're all, it's going to be a relative outperformer, not a broader outperformer. And there will still be cycles. I think I'm just saying the cycles will be longer and the order book will grow, but I can... I won't use the word absolutely per Omar's guidance, but I can say the order books won't get to 40%, 50% of the fleet. They might not even get to 30%. And I think that's the big difference than 12, 13 years ago. Tell that to uh, the LNG sector right now. They're 24%. That's fine. Over five years. Oh, man. The only thing to add to Ben's points, I, I love it. You know, they don't marry. The, the only thing to add to that is I, I hear from a lot of investors. I see it on message boards. You know, I'm active on Seeking Alpha and, probably too active on Twitter, but uh, you know, there's this sort of perception that every single shipping spike is followed immediately by a shipping collapse. And that was a truism in the 2010s. But if you look at the 2000s, I'm not saying that we're gonna have a repeat of the 2000s by any means, but my point on date don't marry, it also works the other way, right? I mean, you can have a little bit longer of a term. Don't, uh, don't marry your short, right? Don't marry your bearish uh, impressions of shipping either. Well, to, to put it differently, don't date, don't get married, but maybe you can get engaged and try it out. Uh, but I think you guys are very right. Uh, I mean, but I think that that is the mandate of every investor. Investors, however, we all are longing for the long-term investors. The reality is, and we talked about last time, I think investors are mandated to pursue the best return they can. Once you achieve that return, you're a migratory bird. You have to go on to the next uh, investment. That is their mandate. On the other hand, shipping companies or any company, you are in that particular business for the long term. So I think as a public company, you have to manage the rotating investor base over time based on your cycle, based on your business development and so on. But having said that, uh, if we ha if, if now that we are in a period of hopefully improved profitability, if you have excess cash flow, what do you do? Do you pay down debt? Do you give dividends? Do you uh, go into uh, acquisitions? We talked about it last time, but I think it would be good to uh, repeat it again. So maybe I'll start with Omar because he was the one who uh, discussed about it last time. Oh, well, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good question. I think there's it, it, just simply having the, the, that question to ask yourself as a management team is actually pretty good news that you've actually got some cash to deploy and some and so and a lot more flexibility. And I think right now it's probably, I don't want to use extreme words, but probably more important than ever to really focus on okay, how are you going to spend that dollar? Because we are in 
a, a, a new era and we are embracing green transition and it's very important. I think the, 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 the times of you know, buying and selling a ship was what you did and, and operating, that, uh, in, uh, operating the vessel in between was just a nuisance. I think that those days are actually gone. I think you really, it's all about the operations and the, and the service that you provide. And so I think probably most important because of the uncertainty out there with the new regulations and you needing to be a going concern is, is to retain the cash and, and think about reinvestment, not necessarily expansion and getting bigger because there's no need to continue to just uh, get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, it's probably more important to, to, to think about maintaining your, uh, your status quo uh, in a new greener market. So I think more, more importantly, clearly cash um, paying out as dividends always very nice, but I think probably the best use of cash right now is retain in anticipation of needing to invest for the future. Yeah, and there aren't. It's not as easy of an answer as it was six months ago because not many companies are trading at sixty percent of NAV, right? So I don't think repurchases are as simple. Um, and then in terms of like dividend payouts, yeah, that's a good short-term bump, but again, no special dividend is long-term rewarded. Um, so. I would say continue to yeah, pay down debt, uh, especially the high price debt. Now, most companies have their debt in order. Obviously, the balance sheets are much better now than they've been in quite some time, but there's still some high price debt floating out there. Um, and then looking at some secondhand acquisitions for, as Omar said, you do a, a shorter term asset play. If it's accretive and if it can make money in the next two or three years, you're not necessarily worried about IMO 2030 with those vessels. So we are coming you, you know, we're having a few more minutes, but it's the last panel of the day. We can go a little bit overboard, um, if you don't mind. So let me come to the, to the last, but not the least uh, part of our discussion. Let's talk about uh, sectors. If you don't mind, uh, we were discussing about uh, having you name stock picks, but I think it might, it might be more benign to go with sector picks. So I don't put anybody on, on the spot, if you don't mind. Um, so... May I go around and have you give us your top uh, sector picks and then maybe just a very brief argumentation as to why? Or maybe give me the, the most favorite and the least favorite. So I, I can, can start with, uh, with Jay this time and I'll go around the other way. All right, right on the spot and, and no tickers allowed, huh? All right, so uh, look, I mean, there's, there's different types of outlooks. There's the short term, you know, trade what's hot right now. And, and there's sort of the longer term, what's more stable. And, and I'll try to cut to the chase. But, you know, in a value sense, in a deep value sense, I, I like the dry bulk sector. You know, the, not all the stocks are up to NAV yet. And some of them are, but NAVs are quite low, right? Because NAVs are based on the underlying asset values. And if you look at mid-cycle, they're pretty cheap. So I like dry as a trade in 21, but I don't really like long-term dry bulk. It's iron ore, coal, not a fan. Longer term, more realistic cycle hold. I know there's, I know I can't marry them then, I know that, but uh, I, I'm more apt to propose to a container ship company. So those are the two categories. So Greg, what about uh, you? Know, you? I, I would reiterate, Jay, I, I'm bullish dry bulk. I, you know, we, we're coming out of Chinese New Year. We're bullish on iron ore. We're bullish on Cape pushing higher, we would be buying dry bulk stocks here. I, I, you know, like, you know, I don't know what a trader investment is. I just would want to own them. Randy, what, what about you? Yeah. Um, hard not to reiterate some of those, obviously dry bulk container ships. Um, now, if you give me a little bit longer, more than the next six months, more than the next, you know, calendar year of 21, uh, I like to refine products, tankers, 
and even crude for that matter, but the tanker trade, especially with OPEC, you know, they're ramping up production. People are going to start flying again. Jet fuel demand's going to go higher. So if you give me nine months or longer tankers, but for sure calendar year 21, I think dry bulk and container ships continue to outperform. Ben, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I, technically I'm dry bulk too, which is sort of boring and reiterative, but um, uh, I, I'm a little bit more cautious on containers, especially the liners. Uh, I think that it, it, where we are is unsustainably high and, and the new normal might be better than the old normal, but it's lower than where we are and you're going to lose some momentum at some point and it's going to be hard for stocks to continue to do well in a when there is downward momentum um the uh the other just to be a little bit different i think even though the market is really just cratered lately i, I think uh there there's a decent spot for lpg too i think as uh weather gets a little bit back to normal the that that business should improve some and omar let's uh have your uh, wisdom Sure. I'll, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll pick from uh, my esteemed colleagues and just sort of uh, pluck from all of them. Uh, clearly, I think containers and dry bulk were at a very, very strong period, and we expect that will continue. Um, I'm kind of like, uh, like Randy on tankers, very excited um, and not necessarily thinking we need to uh, extend the period for six to nine months. I, I kind of feel we may, it may happen sooner than that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've got a big meeting, I guess, you know, to what's today Wednesday so tomorrow uh tomorrow OPEC is meeting and I think that's the the positive in that is that it's 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 not necessarily the the what they're bringing to market or what they decide to to boost by it's more the the fundamental shift and change in their their approach that now instead of every meeting being about how many barrels to cut back or or, or keep back from the market it's about how many we're bringing on and so I think that the tankers as, as those barrels come back to market each incremental barrel is going to be exponentially more impactful on, on charter rates. And so, yes, we're starting at a low base, but I think there's real opportunity for surprise on tankers this year. And then I think on uh, uh, Ben makes an interesting uh, point about LPG. And that's probably one of the things that I would say is maybe concerning about that sector is that uh, LPG, I think inherently is a, is a, is a I, I feel like it's a good market. It's very well consolidated. My, my concern is you do have a fairly sizable order book and it's very prone to arbitrages and regional price differences. And if those arbitrages aren't there, freight rates collapse. And so I think that's a sector that makes me a little bit uh, nervous as I think about the future. Thank you very much. So before we uh, conclude, can I ask you if uh, you have any closing statements uh, that you would like to share? Greg, I can start with you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, Nicholas, thank you for hosting this event. But what I guess what I would say is if, if you're looking at deploying capital in sectors, think about think about looking at companies that own scrubbers. The scrubber spreads has widened. Vessels that own scrubbers are making money. It, as, as we think the oil markets recover, we expect that spread to widen. And so th this was a trade that kind of was left for dead last year, you know, as COVID and oil and uh, bunker spreads collapsed. We we think that companies that are going to own have scrubber exposure should outperform over the next 6, 12, 18 months. Thanks. Thank you. Jay. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Nicholas, for putting this all together. You know, I, I think investors got attuned to the 2010s as kind of the normal in shipping. And they all kind of accepted that the 2000s were abnormal. 
And I think both of those things are, are somewhat true. The 2000s were abnormally high, but the 2010s were abnormally low. And there's a median point. There's a healthy point. Look, these are cyclical stocks. Maybe we don't want to marry them. But using the last 10 years as our guide is very risky. And there's kind of a common adage of, you know, bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. And a lot of the stuff I see is people piling into shorts or piling into, you know, anti-shipping viewpoints based on the last 10 years. I'd say take a 30-year cycle, look at that. And I think there's some, still some room to the median. Thank you. Ben, what about you? Any closing comments? Oh, gosh. I, I like Greg's. I think that that's a good idea on the scrubbers. Um, and, you know, I, I, uh, I feel like with, with John Chappelle not being here, like I'm, I'm, I'm the most uh, curmudgeon of the group. But even me, I'm feeling pretty good about things. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. We need maybe some, some, some balance with John to bring everything down a little bit. But uh, anyway, I'll, also, just to reiterate, thanks, Nicholas, for putting this on again and inviting me to. You're very welcome. Omar. Yeah, sure. I uh, also thank you, Nicholas, for putting this together. Very happy to participate. Uh, I'd say what one of the interesting things right now is the, um, and we talked about this in a report earlier this week, is what we're seeing in the sale and purchase market across the board, where it's the first time in, I would say, since maybe 2008, where we've seen this much buying interest um, aligned across the various sectors. Tankers are active, dry bulk is active, container is active. And so it bodes well for overall asset values, but more than that, the liquidity in the system, banks being more willing to lend into the market. And so I think it's just, it, it's a very, very positive backdrop. And, you're, and as we talked about earlier in, the, in this uh, presentation, the, the companies that are public are all participating now. And that was largely absent for the past several years. So, yeah, uh, first, yeah, using the, the marriage and date, I'm a big advocate of marriage. Just find the right one. Right. Um, so when it comes to shipping, I like to use the adage. It's not time in the market. It's timing the market. Right. Unlike the S&P. So you do want to get in at a good time. And we think that time is now. Right. We think the supply picture is very good. We think demand is certainly inflecting higher. Um, and again, we're not just super crazy bullish. We cover 32 names now. We have 14 holds, right? So it's not like buy everything and anything. Um, but at the same time, don't just look at, well, how big of a discount to NAV is it trading at currently? Because again, when you have asset values going up 10, 15, 20%, your net asset values are going up 25, 30, 50%, right? So there's a lot of upside from here. Um, we're pretty optimistic for 2021 and uh, not ashamed about it. Well, it's been a wonderful two-day event. Uh, we had a packed agenda. Uh, fortunately, we were lucky to have people uh, you know, with good attendance on every panel. And we're concluding with an amazing uh, collection of, uh, of wisdom and insights. So I'd like to thank you very much for your support and participation. It's been a privilege to work with you over the years. And I'm uh, humbled to have you uh, with me today and uh, to conclude this forum. So thank you very, very much to, to all of you. Thank you. Let's do it in person next time. Can't wait. You're here. Can't wait. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Nick. Bye.